Hola, bonjour, hello. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible to have a word language class where instead of teaching the language, the rules, and the vocab, you and your students use the language to enjoy learning about each other and the world? I hope your answer is a big yes, because that's exactly what you will discover inside Growing with Proficiency, the podcast. My name is Claudia Elliott, a Spanish teacher born and raised in Colombia, who is as passionate as you are to support our learners to grow in their proficiency and cultural competence. My goal is that in this podcast, you find clarity, strategies, ideas, and inspiration that you can bring into your classroom the next day. Are you ready? Get comfortable while I grab my cafecito colombiano and let's start this conversation now. Hola, bonjour, hello. Welcome to a new episode of Growing with Proficiency, the podcast. This is a very special episode because I don't have one guest. I have two. So this is a very special one that I want everybody to really listen and pay attention and take notes And I think this is one of those podcasts where we are going to have to come back again every time that we face those challenges in our classes. Because to today we're going to talk about all about talking. And for that aspect, I'm inviting Erika and Justin to be part of my podcast today. And they said, yes. So I'm here, super lucky me, in a Zoom meeting with Erika and Justin, just two learn from there and ask them questions. I mean, like having a podcast is a lot of work, but it has its benefits. And one of the benefits is that you get to sit with bright educators that are willing to talk to me. So welcome, Erica. Welcome, Justin. Thank you so much for accepting this invitation. And tell us a little bit about you. So if you want to start, Erica. I am so excited. I know we both are so excited and honored to be here. I taught for 18 years, every grade from pre-K to eighth grade. Um, I was very honored also to be the Michigan World Language Teacher of the Year and the Spanish teacher for Justin's own children. And mm -hmm. I just love teaching. I love the brain. And I love talking to other teachers about language acquisition. So I just thank you, Claudia, for the opportunity to be here today. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that you were Justin's children's Spanish teacher. Yeah, amazing, huh? That is amazing. That is so, so fun. Erika, thank you so much. Okay, Justin, tell us a little bit about you. I think everybody knows who you are, but just share with us. Well, I don't know. Yeah, th thank you. Just like Erica said, I want to echo uh, my gratitude for having been invited to join you. And thanks for your kind words, Claudia, as well. Uh, I'm Justin, as Claudia said, I grew up in Vienna, Austria. So German was one of my uh, first languages growing up. And I also was surrounded by lots of other languages, not just in school, but at home and elsewhere. So, so languages, both first learning them and then helping other people learn them has always been an energizing and central thing in my life. I've been uh, teaching languages formally in schools since 2005, mostly uh, Latin and Spanish and German. And I uh, I love not just helping people learn languages, but these days also helping teachers, just like you do, Claudia, um, energize teachers, take work off teachers' plates, helping teachers realize they really can do this. 
and um, and growing together like that in the profession. I love that. And I love what you said at the end, growing together, because that's what we do, right? Like that is, mm -hmm. I think it, we're never there. There is no like, oh, we're there. It's just this journey. And I think when we share about the journey and our own challenges and what we have learned and why we're doing things different today is really inspiring for a lot of teachers. So thank you both for uh, being here today. And today we're going to talk a little bit about talking. And I know that Justin and Erica, as well as me, are really focusing on incorporating principles of second language acquisition in our practices, where we focus a lot of creating these experiences where we can del deliver and get our students to read and listen a ton of comprehensible input. And there is this idea that because we focus on comprehensible input, the kids don't get to communicate or to talk much. So can you share your thoughts on how talking fits in an acquisition-driven instruction classroom? We can start with Justin, if you want to share about sure. it. Sure. Yeah, it's a great question, right? Because uh, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but speaking, when people think about what does it mean to know another language, they almost always, one of the first or main things they think of is speaking it. In fact, we that's the common phrase for saying that someone knows a language, right? We say, oh, she speaks Spanish or they, they speak Chinese. You never hear someone say, you never ask someone what language they know and they say, oh, well, I, I hear Russian, I hear Danish. It's I speak, I speak, I speak, right? So the natural question, and I think that also reflects that that's kind of the goal, especially for those of us who are motivated language learners, we really want to be able to speak. I could be able to read any, every single thing in Italian, but I wouldn't feel like I truly you know, knew Italian unless I felt like I was comfortable speaking it. So it's, it's a really understandable question. And it makes sense to bring it up like you did in relation to this idea of input, input, input. And so to make sense of that, I think, I think it's helpful to make a, one or two distinctions or definitions. Uh, the first is, what do we mean by talking? in class what counts as talking in class and and what did it look like so would it include uh students repeating words after a teacher would it include things that learners have uh, memorized and then perform is it only spontaneously sharing a new idea something like that so that's the thing to, to to think about and i'm sure that'll come up throughout our conversation today uh, and the other is a distinction this is a, a little bit heady but I think it'd be really valuable for conversation and for any teachers who are listening to this, which is the distinction between what are the things that we do that literally cause acquisition and what are the things that we do that maybe don't literally cause acquisition, but they're still worth doing because of some other purpose that they have in a language classroom. And so we can talk you know, throughout this conversation, but I find helpful when we think about speaking, okay, producing the language, me speaking the language isn't going to cause new language to enter my head and take root there, but there might still be other reasons such as participating in the community, um, trying it out, getting that sense of achievement you get from saying things in the language, helping further the overall conversation, asking other people questions, all kinds of things that are kind of in a way separate from it's literally causing me to acquire the language, but are still worthwhile, helpful, uh, and hopefully enjoyable in a classroom. Oh my gosh, Justin. And, and I think that the last part is so important. 
especially when we're making decisions in our classes about what activities to do, how often, how long, and how we're going to assess that. And I think sometimes we just don't know. And that's what happened to me for many years. So, you know, like you made so many great points about, you know, what counts for talking, right? Like, are we saying that talking is just repeating words or maybe doing like a choral response or choral reading, for example, or just moving our lips? Like, is that kind of talking? So let's think about it. And then, okay, so when we do the talking that we want to like really promote in the class, why are we doing it? Are we doing it because we want to acquire the language? Because if we're doing it for that, oh, maybe that is not really what talking is doing, but talking does so many more things. And I remember I was in a conference last year and I was with Dr. Florencia Henshaw and she asked about a choral reading, like everybody's reading. And she said, do you do that? And I said, yes, I do, because it creates such a great community feeling. And I don't do it because I know that they're repeating words and maybe they don't know what they're saying. So it's not going to be for acquisition. I'm not checking for comprehension. I'm doing it for the co- for the for the feeling. And she's like, oh, okay. And I think that is what really empowers us as language educators is when we know why we're doing what we're doing, and then we can articulate better, especially when our administrators come and tell us that, you know, nothing that we're doing is right, and then we can articulate that. I think that's such a great point. Erika, do you want to add something to this uh, point? Yes. Both Justin and you talked or touched on some of the things that make me excited about getting students talking in class, and that's that Giving students a chance to talk in class helps build community, and community is so key to making learning connections. It lowers the effective filter and activates parts of the brain that get excited about learning, which I will talk more about later. It also helps kids have voice and choice in what they're doing each day, and students are just more invested in classrooms where they feel like they're a part of the conversation and making decisions and contributing instead of being talked at all the time. Sometimes you can even make them feel like they are talking with something simple, like having them move to one side of the room or the other to indicate their answer or raising their hand to show if they think one answer or the other is right, and then counting or talking about it for them. And so you can give the students a voice for the words that they're not quite ready to express and therefore give them choice and give them, you know, you know, leadership in the classroom, which is so important. Community is everything. Oh my gosh, Erika, you talk, you talk my thoughts. I love what you said, and I really want to like teachers to pay attention because sometimes they cannot do the talking, but we cannot rate their talking when we ask them to answer by moving, by gesturing, by drawing. So we are really amplifying their voices because they cannot maybe say that yet. But that narrating, I mean, even if it doesn't count as a talk because they're not like, you know, getting the words out, but we can do it. And you know what, Erica and Justin, we do that with little kids. Like when we have our little kids and when I had my kids and they were little and they couldn't talk or even now because they're teenagers and they don't say, the only thing that they say is yes, no, okay, good. And those are the only words that I can mm-hmm. get out of my kids' mouth. But then we can really narrate from them. And and I think that is so empowering Plus, there is something else that I really think that talking does is it helps our students access the system. 
it really helps them to go back and see what is there. And that is another skill. So I mm -hmm. love all these ideas. Now, mm -hmm. I am really intrigued with this next topic related to talking and is brain research. And I love brain research. As a matter of fact, in my family, they say every dinner, I say like, oh, I found this in a research. And my kids are like, please do not bring more research <laughs> anymore. We don't care about the importance of setting goals, the percentage of like how much more successful you're going to be. Please just leave it. But I'm obsessed because I think it just makes sense. And it really kind of like empowered me. So I've heard that Erika is kind of like really into brain research. So what does this research say about this topic and how can we facilitate speaking in class more? I love this so much. I started studying the brain when I was doing my post-master's work and I just never stopped because I think it's the most fascinating topic. And Claudia, I have a 13-year-old who also rolls her eyes at me whenever I talk about the brain. So I totally feel you on that. Um, there are two really big points I want to make about the brain, though I could talk about this for the whole podcast, but I'm, I'm restraining myself. Um, and one of those is, is the part of the brain that tells us how painful something is, is the exact same, whether it's mental pain or physical pain. Huh. In fact, the only difference in the brain to mental pain and physical pain is that if it's physical pain, a different part of your brain lights up to tell you where in your body you hurt. But the part that tells you how much you hurt, whether it's like an elephant stepping on your foot or your friends rejecting you at lunch, is the exact same. In mm -hmm. fact, a double-blind study found that ibuprofen actually dulls mental pain the same way it does physical pain because mm -hmm. it's the exact same part of the brain. So when we feel like we don't belong, when we don't have that sense of community, when we don't feel empowered to take risks and like it's okay to be wrong and that mistakes are good because we learn from them, our brains just can't learn as well. In fact, new information can't pass over into long-term memory and we just, we don't learn as well. But on the flip side of that, when we feel like we have a community, when we feel like our opinions are valued and we matter, positive motivation impacts brain metabolism, the conduction of nerve impulses through the memory areas, and the release of neurotransmitters that increase executive function. So we more, we learn better when we feel like we belong and like we feel like it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to just, you know, be a part of things. That's when we do our best learning, when we're kind of like have that kindergarten enthusiasm for like embracing each day with the joy of learning. I taught kindergarten for many years and the the leaps that those kids could make in their language acquisition always blew their mind. And it was because they felt comfortable and excited to be there. And, you know, they didn't have, you know, some of the hangups that we get as we go through the system and sometimes, you know, start to feel smaller. So, you know, being able to empower our students is really, really big for their learning processes. And then, wow, that is so important. You know, the other day I was looking at some uh, social media and I saw a teacher who shared a video of a brain break that she finishes her class with a dance and everybody is dancing and everybody's singing and you have to see this you know little kids five years old kids dancing and singing like nobody sells business like they were all into that and I was like wow I mean what are we doing because that is when they're fifth and sixth and then when they come to 14 and 15 they just are like so grumpy. And I mean, I know that there's a lot of hormones going on, but still like, it's like such a dramatic change in terms of their attitude and their willingness, willingness to take risk and their willingness to like be themselves and say things and, and be wrong or not wrong. I mean, like 
these kids, five years, six years old, they don't care. They're like all ready to absorb everything. And boom, we go on teaching high school and it's like, oh my goodness, something. I mean, I don't know what we're doing in education, but like, it's just, we're taking something away from them. So Justin, do you, do you want to add something about this brain research? Just, just one little thing. Uh, Erica's, Erica's my personal expert for this. Erica and I, uh, we're friends. We live in the same town. We work together. And I, I always defer to her on on brain things. But one thing that came to mind as she was talking that also relates to this, to the, to the affective filter that came up is this idea that success in something kind of fuels more success. When, you, when you're able to do something, it makes you want to try it again and feel capable of trying it again and keep on improving. And so uh, I think one area where we can really help our learners in a way that we can really take advantage of opportunities for helping learners speak is really giving them chances, not by not by sort of making everything super easy and no effort whatsoever, but by really providing proper support and motivation is helping students at least say something and then really celebrate that because that's going to that's going to make students willing to keep trying, willing to make mistakes sometimes. Um, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, as we talk about really practical strategies. But uh, the way it ties into brain research is this is this success feedback loop, where when you succeed at something, it increases your motivation to try it again. And so giving students opportunities for success, small successes in speaking, I think is a great way to, to facilitate that. Yes, I I totally agree. There is no, and I, and I believe like no matter how, and sometimes challenging our students can be for so many reasons that really most of the cases are not related to me or my class. I, I said the other day, I really need to come to terms that I'm not the most important person in the life of my students. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like Spanish class is not the most important thing for them. And they sometimes they come and they are in an attitude and nothing is nothing about me or my class. And I just want to make it all about me and my class. Uh, mm. But one of the things that I have um, really see is when my students feel uh, competent in the mm -hmm. class, they are much more willing to do anything. They really feel excited in the class, that competence. And I think that is for human beings, like for everybody. When we feel like we, we can do this, we are going to be able to take more risk. Okay, so mm -hmm. let's go with the practical stuff because I know we're ready for that. And teachers, if you're listening to this, this is the moment that you grab your paper and pen if you're not driving <laughs> or listen back again when you're sitting down and taking some notes. So let's talk about the practical stuff. What are some of your go-to strategy for getting students to listen, that's so important, and talk more in class? Either one can start. Justin, do you want to jump in or would you like me sure, to? Sure, sure. I'll jump in. I, I have I have one kind of overarching thing that you can apply all the time, no matter what you're doing. Uh, and then one super, super, super practical focused thing uh, that you can also apply in a variety of situations. So my number one uh, tip, one of two, for really getting students to do this listening and talking combination that you're talking about, Claudia, is to discuss things that learners actually want to say something about. We can say all we want, you know, oh, I really want students to talk. I really want them to speak. But if it's something that 
that like the student wouldn't even want to speak about in their first language, then there, there's that much bigger an obstacle toward making it happen, right? So that comes down to having chats with our students maybe before class, sometimes during class to start to get to know what are they even interested in. Uh, many of us use different kinds of student interest surveys or questionnaires to find out these things and also just kind of um, keeping our antennas up to recognize what are the things that students are really latching onto. That's kind of a, on the practical side, that's an overarching piece of advice is, well, talk about things that students are interested to uh, interested in. If you're dealing with a piece of content where you're like, okay, I'm not sure my students actually are interested in that, but it's really important to me or my curriculum requires me to, to cover this, then we can do things like come up with questions, polls, different things like that that do related to students' lives. So that's my number one overarching thing is if you want someone to talk, bring up topics that they actually want to talk about. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then the super practical thing, whether you're doing that or or in any other context, is to start off with having actually written on the board and or your walls some stock phrases like rejoinders or some sentence stems or things like that. I can't speak enough or highly enough of having these and really training students from the very beginning, from day one, uh, that they can and should jump in, even blurt those out whenever they seem relevant. So I usually start with just a couple, maybe three or four things that students can holler out, um, you know, target language equivalents of things like, wow, I mean, it's something that simple or wow, or like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, or you're kidding, or something like that, right? Of course, uh, as whatever the target language is that you're teaching, having it up on the board. And then when students do, because some students will naturally, some students won't kind of get into using those whenever they come up. Whenever someone does really celebrate that, oh my gosh, you said the thing, and actually tell students to facilitate that. I When I first introduced those rejoinders, uh, you know, on day one of class, as I say, you know, in this class, we're going to be talking a lot in German, Spanish, Latin, whatever it is, the target language. At the beginning, it's going to be mostly you hearing things I say, but don't worry, you'll understand because I have lots of good techniques for helping you understand. So I'll do that. And I'm going to help you even participate from the very beginning by giving you these phrases that you can use. You don't have to come up with the language yourself, like language that you don't even know yet. I'm giving you these right here that you can use exactly whenever it seems like it makes sense. And then we, uh, if, if, if like no one's using them, I'll kind of point out like, Hey, don't you guys think this is interesting? And I'll point at the rejoinder that's like, wow, that's interesting, or something like that. Uh, and then, like I said, really celebrate as students start yeah, using those. And uh, that that would be sort of my my number one practical hands-on tip is to really take advantage of those rejoinders because it kind of a it creates that participation uh, in and of itself, but it also kind of breaks the ice. Like students have then, when they've said a thing like that, okay, now it's happened. Their mouth has opened and words in the target language have come out. That kind of leaves the gate open for them to say more things and say things that they themselves actually come up with. I love that. And I found that rejoinders, I, I think what, what I love about rejoinders is first, how short they are so they can be said really easily, but you express a ton, right? Like if there is so much information, feelings, emotions that you can embed 
in an expression. So one of the my 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 favorite ones for my class is verdad, like really, because mm-hmm. it can be ver- oh verdad, oh, verdad, verdad. Like it can be used depending on your tone of voice in so many different ways. So it's just like you said, just a little word, a little expression, but your students are gonna feel empowered. Your students are not going to even feel like they're saying a, a silly word. They're saying like I am talking, like I am talking in Spanish or in German or in Ch- because they are saying that. And another thing that I discovered, Justin, is when I start doing rejoinders it benefit a ton my AP students. Because mm-hmm. in the interpersonal conversation that we have to record, there is this uh, part of the rubric where we want students to use idiomatic expressions, where they want to have this spontaneity. And because they're really sure, they come really easy, but it, they express a lot. So like, I cannot believe it. That is so authentic, so mm-hmm. natural. And if you're using that since level one, right? By the time you get to AP, you have a really great bag of expression that you can use a ton mm-hmm. to help you even in the upper level. So I think rejoinders are huge. And I love what you said about talking about the things that students want to talk mm-hmm. about. Like, mm-hmm. I think that is kind of like, it applies to humanity, right? Like you want to talk to people about the topics that they want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Erika, did you want Mm -hmm. to add anything? Oh, I do. I have a couple of strategies I would love to share. So it's hard for me to talk about anything without talking about the brain at least a little bit. And when we talk about ourselves, parts of the brain that are associated with reward light up. It feels good and it makes us happy. So one of my favorite ways to get students talking about themselves, but also to build community that I've done basically every year in my classroom is to have class meetings. And it's usually five to 10 minutes at the start of class. And at the most basic level with kindergarten students, we sit in a circle and the very, very beginning of the year when they have no Spanish, we pass around a stuffed animal and I tell them to show me on your face how you're feeling, happy, sad, or mad. And so when the student shows me, I'll say, oh, está feliz, you're happy, está triste, está enojada, and I will say the words for them. And very, very quickly, the students take over saying the words for me. And even more quickly, they'll say, but... How do I say I'm tired? How do I say I'm hungry? How do I say I'm cold? And they want to be able to build on that. And very quickly, we'll go from maybe three or four words to 50 words that everyone in the class is using. And just like Justin said, we have rejoinders that we use for all of these. If they say they're excited about something, like they just won a soccer game, we'll do felicidades fingers. If they say they're sad, we'll send them un abrazo, a hug, or we'll throw them a ball of luck if they have something exciting coming up. And that just builds community and it helps kids understand like, oh, my friend didn't play with me on the playground today and I thought they were mad at me, but really it was because their dog ran away, right? It gets kids listening to each other and supporting each other and building that community. And it builds up really, really authentic communication almost right away. I do it with my older students too, where I have them just sit in a semicircle. And then on the board, I'll usually have, you know, those how are you feeling scales where they show pictures mm-hmm. of people feeling different ways. I'll have those labeled in the target language and with numbers, and they'll just raise their hand for their time to talk. But even my students who are introverts can then show me on their finger which one they're feeling so I can go and talk to them and check in with them and know where they're at. And this has built such classroom community and built up my students' ability not only to understand, but also to speak so quickly. I had a kindergarten student 
who was only in my room for a year. And a year later, her parent contacted me and said, oh my gosh, my kid just went to a birthday party and the kid there is a Spanish speaker. And they had this whole conversation in Spanish and I couldn't believe how much she remembered. And I'm 100% sure that it was all from class meeting and taking that time to build that community and learn to listen to each other. And it's just, it's such a powerful thing. I had many, many families tell me that their kids brought class meeting home and they would do it every night at dinner too. It's that ability to listen to each other that I think we all need more of you know, in today's world. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other little strategy I would share is um, during the pandemic, I was teaching fourth and fifth grade at five different schools. And I had a hard time getting kids talking at first. And so what I started doing was putting either or questions to start the class. And they were usually associated with the lesson. Like, would you rather have blue hair or purple hair? Would you rather eat this or that? Which of these would you eliminate? And kids were so excited to share their answers. And again, very quickly, they built up the ability to say, I prefer this or I like this better because, and they couldn't always finish the entire thing in Spanish, but the root and those key structures that we want them to get, like me gusta, yo prefiero, were acquired very quickly because they were so excited to share about themselves. And again, make connections um, to students that they might never have connected to before because they were like, oh, that kid likes the same music as me or, oh, they like the same show. And so that's such a powerful way, I think, to get students talking and build classroom community, which is so critical. And I think classroom community is very critical when we're talking about this talking, because talking requires that you feel comfortable with the person that you're talking. Like really has to be a mm-hmm. certain level of trust that I'm not going to be judged, that I'm not going to be criticized, that I'm not going to be like making fun of. So when I'm talking, especially in a language that I'm just learning, I really need to trust my teacher and trust my, my classmate to feel at that level. And I think creating those classroom meetings, like you said, Erika, are so important. And I remember talking to Florencia Henshu in a, in an episode about uh, output. And she was talking about that when we are, to- when we start going to the upper levels and we start talking about this thematic, you know, like the desafios mundiales, like wor- the challenges, like wor- worldwide challenges. I think that's how you say it in English. Family, identity, beauty. We start talking about these topics and we stop talking about our daily life. And then is when we start like really kind of disconnecting with our students. Mm. When one of the things that we talk more using a language is about daily things, right? Like when are you going to have a conversation with a friend about the pollution? Or when are you going to have a conversation with a friend about, I don't know, the fabric of a, of a, clo- a, pe- a clothing piece? But we talk about what you did last weekend. What are you going to do? What are your plans? What, what do you want to be? Or, you know, like things that happen on a daily basis. Like I'm hungry. I want to eat. I got a fight with my mom. I don't want to talk to her. Somebody took my phone. Like those are the things that I where students want to be able to talk. And those are the things that we sometimes just don't talk about it because we're so worried about covering content. Uh, so that is such a great piece. And another thing is how important it is to maintain it and be consistent with those, even though our students are not willing to do it at the beginning, right? Like, okay, this is my first class morning meeting and we are going to talk about that. So how much how much your students are going to participate? 
probably not. <laughs> probably you're going to have to narrate everything. But is if we build that consistency and if we create a space, like a space to have that conversation that we protect and we lead every time, then it's going to be so much better. So anything else you would like to add about encouraging talking in class? Sure, I, I could offer a, a hack or two for this and also a, kind of an overarching point. Um, one is, and I was thinking about this, Claudia, when you were talking a, a bit ago about uh, with the rejoinders and teaching students these phrases that will really impress the AP readers and things like that, is you can, from the very beginning, I, lo I love doing this, is when I'm, when I'm introducing, not necessarily just a rejoinder, rejoinders are probably the first place where this comes up, but phrases in general that I teach is really emphasized, like, wow, this one's going to make you sound like a real Spanish speaker. Uh, this is, if, if someone hears you, even if you don't feel that great at Spanish, if someone hears you say this, they're going to say, wow, she really knows Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you, it, I call it a bit of a hack because you don't have to do anything else different other than throw in this phrase every once in a while, like, ooh, this one's going to make you sound amazing when you use this, whether that's to your friend, whether that's to someone in your community, whether that's an AP reader or something like that. So that's just a, just a little uh, motivational piece. And then it also sets up more of that uh, motivating encouragement because when a, when a student does then say one of those things in class, you could say, oh my gosh, I just thought I was in, on the streets of Bogota when you said that, like it just, it just you, you sounded so local or something like that. So this little hack that, uh, that I recommend. Uh, another one on the, the hack side is, again, whether for rejoiners or other phrases, you can, uh, especially for reluctant students, students who are, who are reluctant to speak, because yes, speaking does help you kind of enter into and join in the community, but that doesn't mean that all 30 students are truly going to want to and feel comfortable doing that right away, is uh, sometimes we'll put a, a student in charge of a certain phrase or a certain uh, rejoinder. That doesn't mean other people can't say it, but their job is really anytime something comes up where that could make sense, their job is to say that thing. So you mentioned, Claudia, you mentioned uh, verdad, like, you know, literally meaning truth, right? But used for really or something like that. And then you, that student's in charge of verdad, and maybe another student is telling a story, and this student is just jumping in every once in a while, like, verdad? Verdad? And it just, it creates, again, a bit more ownership. Sometimes it creates a little bit of humor uh, based on exactly when they say it or things like that. So that would be my other sort of small scale hack. My, my large scale uh, recommendation, even request for how to make the most of speaking and also help it just go better in class is to do whatever we can to, to unlink, to separate talking in class from getting graded for accuracy. So a huge reason, as you can imagine, and have maybe experienced why people are sometimes hesitate to speak is because they're worried about making mistakes. And they're especially worried about it if they feel like it's going to make them look bad. And they're especially worried about it if they feel like it's going to lower their grade. So will we at some point have presentational speaking tasks that we grade, hopefully on a rubric, not on the, you know, docking points? Sure. But it, it, We'll get to that point, especially the higher we get in the levels. But in general, the less we can make the things that happen in our class feel like school, where you're constantly either earning points or losing points, and the more we can make it feel like just life, where you interact with people, 
um, the more likely people are to speak and to listen. And ironically, the sooner they're likely to be able to do that more uh, and more accurately too. Wow, that is so important. I, I I think, and I think that is some. I think that's a mindset for for us as teachers to move to really because we keep saying this is what I hear, and I said this. Oh, my kids will not do anything unless there is a grade. But I want to challenge that because I I move like I a lot most of the things that I do in my own class are not graded like. I don't know, because how can I create a conversation about what happened your last weekend? Or how can I create the conversation that we're having about if you feel okay or bad? Like, it's just, I don't. Like, it's it's kind of like you what you just said is more leaning to this is a conversation because we care about each other, because we have an interest on each other, because I really want to know how you're doing, Justin, because I really want to know what are you doing for this weekend, Erica, because I really want to know about a CI meeting because I really want to find out more. Like I had this conversation with Justin, Justin had like an X months ago. And before we started the podcast, I asked, Justin, how are you feeling? Are you, because I really am interested in that. So mm-hmm. I think when we change our mindset and we really become interested in the human beings that our students are and the the talents and the and the great things that they can bring to the class where we can learn from each other i think the willingness to share is gonna be more so i love that overreaching a comment that you made because that is such a great point erica do you have anything about that too I have a little, I have a little brainy backup to what you were both saying. The amazing thing <laughs> both of you are saying. Good. Our brains acquire our second or third or fourth language the exact same way they acquire our first language, right? So a big part of what we do as language educators is meeting each student where their brains are at. And no two brains are going to be in the exact same place at the exact same time, which is something Justin may have said at a, at a workshop long ago that I was very impressed of, with. When you think of a baby trying to speak their first words, they have almost 10,000 hours of input before they start to output with single words generally. And if a baby was trying to say water, and we were like, no, it's water, and they said, wow, wow, and we were like, no, water, 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 and stress them out, they would stop wanting to talk. But if instead we just made sure we use the word water lots and lots, very slowly and clearly for them, they'll be able to say it. It's just that each brain, each individual will take a different amount of time to acquire those things. And so encouraging kids to participate in class at whatever level they are at, whether it be a simple thumbs up or thumbs down, indicating an answer with a number on their finger, moving to one side of the room or the other, or a mix of the target language and their first language is all a part of making a safe environment in which kids can really blossom and grow on their language skills. Even using exit tickets where students can answer in whatever language they're at, right? If the exit ticket says, give me a summary of the story and then tell me how you're feeling. Well, if the kid answers all in English, that's not nothing. They understood what was going on, right? If they're able to summarize correctly. And then some kids will answer in a mix of the target language and their first language. And that means they're on the way to being able to produce lots and lots. And some kids 
will blow your mind and answer with way more of the target language than you ever knew they had possible, right? And it's such, it's so important to realize that, that no two brains are at the same place, but that if we learn to welcome all of our students and encourage them, we can, we can make all of them successful in language learning and make them all feel as successful as human beings. Oh, Erica, I cannot agree more with both of you because English is my second language. So I have encountered so many moments in my life that I am talking and people correct me when I'm talking. Mm. And after that, I just stop thinking. Like I don't, I, I, mm. I just cannot think. I cannot like articulate my next thought. I didn't know what I was doing. It's just kind of like something happened that just freezes me and puts me in such a bad area. So, and I'm a grown up, <laughs> I'm a professional and I, you know, so I just cannot imagine what we can do to a student that is willing to raise her hand or his hand to share about how they're feeling. And we have a clipboard grading that participation because, I mean, I just cannot imagine how stressful that can be. So, I just love this conversation. Now, I want to add one more question that I've been thinking while you guys are talking. So when do you think we go wrong in terms of listening and talking? What are the things that maybe we should at least reflect on and try to maybe avoid them? And I know we're talking about, you know, not correcting or not grading, but is there anything else that you think about when we go wrong? Because if you guys have been talking to a lot of language educators, one of the number one challenge that they have is my students don't want to talk. My students are just not talking at all. They don't talk. They don't want to talk about it. They're just silent. They just don't want to use the target language at all in my class. So you know, we can blame it on the student because that's what we tend to do, like all these kids nowadays. But <laughs> let's kind of like think that it's not them, that maybe there are things that because of the settings that we're creating or the habits that we have developed on these ingrained things that we keep doing as an educators, maybe it's preventing. So have you noticed where things or maybe in your own experience, things that you guys did and maybe realized like, oh my gosh, and then you change and things really kind of like elevate and empower the voices of your students. And I don't know whoever wants to go first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Erica. Um, so I think you, you kind of almost summarized it beautifully when you were speaking there, Claudia, but anytime a student feels like they're wrong or they don't belong, the effective filter goes up and they shut down. They just don't even want to take a risk or take a chance. And so when I'm talking to my students, as I said before, I never correct for accent or for not saying the word right. I only correct for meaning. Like if they are saying the word cat and they mean dog, I'll be like, oh, I'm so glad you knew the word cat. That's so great. But the word for dog is this. And so making sure that mistakes don't feel like mistakes, but like learning opportunities. And accepting all the answers and be like, oh, that's really great. How about we do this? Just tweak it a little bit. And giving them encouragement just for participating and for being a part of class, I think is a huge way that we can make the kids feel like they belong and to encourage them to participate in in all the world. Um, another really great tip I learned from John Cowart a long time ago is that my students know that if I raise my hand and say, levanta la mano, I expect them to raise their hand. And, and for an answer, 
But if I go like this, they're allowed to shout out the answer, right? Mm -hmm. And so that lets them know that they always know when it's okay to yell and they always know when it's okay to raise their hand. And so they don't ever feel like, oh, I don't know if I should participate in this right now. They they automatically know by what I'm doing, what they're allowed to do in class. And so they don't feel like, oh, I'm going to be wrong if I shout out here, or I'm going to be wrong if I do this or that. But just helping them to realize that mistakes are a part of how we learn and that participation is good and um, that they're welcome in our classrooms. I love that. And by the way, it's because you're listening and you're not you're not seeing Erica. So if you're listening this and you're not seeing her, she was raising her hand for when her she wants her students to raise their hand to participate. And she was kind of like with her hands welcoming, like come, like saying like come, come, come with your hands when she's inviting for like uh, responses, like you know how you call those. They're not choral responses. How how do you call those like? Any, I just tell my students to to shout it out. Shout it out. Yeah, that's the word. So inviting everybody to just say it. And that is such a in- good point. You know, and I think elementary uh, teachers do a great job by establishing really good routines where students know what to do, <laughs> what to expect. Mm-hmm. But when they go to high school, we just assume that they know. And it's like this kind of like, I like, wh- what am I supposed to do? Can I raise my hand? Can I say it aloud? Can I scream at it? Can, I mean, what is it? So just kind of establishing those with hand signals, uh, signals or signals, signals, right? Signals. Mm-hmm. Signals mm-hmm. with hand signals are going to be so much better. That is great, Erica. Do you have anything, Justin, in terms terms of like, where do we go wrong with this topic? Like, why is it that some classes you can go and kids are feeling great, they're participating, they're saying things, and then other classes where, you know, where do we usually go wrong with this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your question, both when you said it before and when you said it again now, Claudia, it's really going to make me think because uh, you know, I try both for my personal mindset and when I coach teachers and things like that to focus on, you know, the positives. What can you do? What can you do? Things like that. And less on, you know, stop doing this or stop doing that. But uh, so hopefully this answer qualifies. You know, I could say, oh, stop grading for perfection so much or things like that. But that's that's probably th- something people already know. So let's see if this, let's see if this counts as an answer for you, Claudia, um, because I'm going to sort of twist the, uh, the negative version of a positive thing. And it's 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 a little bit subtle, but I think it applies a lot in the situation you were talking about, Claudia, where it's like, okay, some classes you walk into and it seems like people are enjoying participating and they're doing a good job with it and others not so much. And it can feel kind of like magic or wizardry, dark magic, the people who make it work. Like, what? Are you, how are you doing this? Uh, and something that I've noticed, I observe a lot of teachers and I coach a lot of teachers. And one of my most common sort of wishes like oh i wish they could just change this one thing is we have a tendency to move on really fast after someone says something even if it, you know whether they said it great whether they could have said it better you name it we because we're in school i think sometimes we view it as well it's kind like yes we're talking but it's really more of an exercise i want to hear from as many people as possible and just okay did they say that sentence that i wanted them to say yes okay we move on Rather than doing what we do in real life conversations, which is go by what the person actually said to see, do we want to ask a follow-up question? Do we want to ask the rest of the class, hey, do you agree with this? Um, Would you want to do this? 
you know, maybe you're talking about some activity. Who else would want to do this? Would you want to do this with this other person? You name it. So the so the negative sort of answer is don't move on so quickly from what students say, because one, you're losing out on all the input and interaction that you could be getting. And two, you're communicating that um, that people's answers don't really matter, that it's just an exercise and not a not actual conversation. Yes. I, I think that totally counts. And I'm going to add one more that I learned from this brilliant language educator uh, a few years ago. And he said, be okay with silence. So in one podcast, Justin, you were interviewed, I don't know by, by whom, but I remember that you were talking about silence and how we as educators, we get kind of like, I don't know, and it's not frustrated. It's kind of like nervous about it. And we just want to jump so fast when we're talking, when we ask a question, right? Like, and our students may be not ready or something. And then like, either we move on or we answer, or we assume that the student doesn't want to answer because we are not okay with silence. And I think that is another um, kind of like subtle thing that sometimes we do and really affect how we communicate is, you know, and I love what you said is really, and it goes back to what you said about if we move from being at the school and more having conversations, then we act more like we're having conversation, right? Like if I'm asking you and you're thinking about it, and then I'm waiting for you because you're thinking about it and I'm not going to like, oh, okay, so Justin, you couldn't answer. So I'm going to go with Erica <laughs> and then I move on and move on. And then Erica say, how are you doing? I'm bad. Oh, sorry. Okay, Justin, how are you doing? Oh, <laughs> and then we move and we move. I, and that is so important. I cannot tell you how much I have enjoyed this conversation. This has been so great. Uh, and I know that this is a topic that really concerns a lot of language teachers. And you said something, Justin, about sometimes we feel like it's magic, but it's not really magic. It's about being intentional and also understanding that is that is human. So I was thinking about when you were mentioning uh, the classes, and I think there are going to be classes that are going to have a different culture, a different energy, a different, and that's okay too. So not all classes are going to be the same. Not all the students are going to be the same. And we have to stop having this expectation that my class is going to have to be X or Y and really kind of get to know each class and kind of like appreciate what each class has because every one, every class has its little good thing. So really kind of taking the time to appreciate that. And maybe some classes are not going to be so talkative. Maybe they're going to be more concentrated in reading and in listening and they're going to be, but that's a good too. So kind of like getting to know our classes and understand that is going to be uh, also good. This has been great. great I appreciate mm -hmm. both of you. And I want to share with our community, where can people find you? Like if they want to keep talking about this, they want to know more about what you teach and how you help. So tell us a little bit about where people can find you. I don't know if you can start, Justin. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned that I work with Erica 
And currently we work uh, with BOSIS, which creates online language curriculum. It's a story-based, rich NCI curriculum for Spanish, French, German, Italian, and English. So you, in, in that sense, you can find us uh, at BOSISdigital.com. BOSIS is like the Spanish word for voices, V-O-C-E-S. Uh, but regardless of whether people use that curriculum or not, uh, we've been working on and we've we've launched something called The Hub, as in a place where things come together, where we've put tons and tons of videos, really short videos, like two to five minutes on lots of different teaching techniques that uh, that are free for anyone to watch. You don't have to you know, be using the VOSIS curriculum or subscribe or anything like that. So, um, so maybe we can include uh, a link in the show notes or something like that. But uh, if you go to VOSISdigital.com under training, there is there's a link to the hub to access all the I made a lot of uh, those videos. Erica made a lot of those videos, as did some of our colleagues. Um, as far as my other teaching ideas or or things like that, where can you find them? I also have a, a blog that I haven't added too much uh, recently, but uh, used to a lot, and I still send people there because like I don't feel like I can say it any better than I did there, which is at indwellinglanguage.com. So indwelling, like living in a place, indwellinglanguage.com. Uh, on the blog there, you can find lots of uh, teaching strategies and more about my teaching philosophy and things like that. Oh, thank you. I will add mm -hmm. all those links in the show notes because I think that's going to be, and I cannot wait to check out the hop. That is mm -hmm. so good. Erika, where can people find you? I guess Voces Digitales too? Voces Digital too. Sorry, I'm a little tongue-tied right now. I'm just excited because this has been such a great conversation. Um, Justin and I, in addition to working on the curriculum, also train teachers both virtually and, per and in person for Voces. And so we love working with teachers. And then I have tons of free ideas, especially for elementary teachers on my website. I also have not added to my blog in a long time, but it's profepaplinski.weebly.com. And there's tons and tons of stuff for elementary teachers of all languages. And then in addition to that, all three of us will be at Mitten CI in April in person. Mm, yeah. I can't wait to talk to both of you in person again. Yeah. Everybody come join us there. It'll be such a fun conference here in Michigan. Yes, I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. This is going to be my first time going there, and I just cannot wait. It's going to be April. What is the date, Erika? April 19th and 20th, and we're so excited to have both of you. I know. Thank you for inviting us, and I'm super excited to go. Justin and Erika, I just have to tell you how excited I am about this conversation. I think everybody that is listening is so thankful and is so grateful for your time to come here and spend this time with us talking about uh, talking. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. I just cannot wait to continue this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for accepting it. And I hope everybody that is in the audience is really ready to apply some of the ideas that we share here. And as always, I would love to hear from you. If you apply any of this, you can share with me um, in Instagram or Facebook at Claudia M. Elliot. And also, I want to invite you to join my free Facebook group that is Growing With CI. Tag me. Let me know here how this is going for you and if you have any questions. So thank you, everybody. Nos vemos pronto. Chao, chao. Gracias.